So good evening everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, we will continue this evening with our discussion of the Bhagavat Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami Sat Sandarbhas. Six Sandarbhas meant to enlighten us with some Bhagavad as to the underlying uh, tattva which constitutes the Siddhanta, or the school of thought of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Achinta Beta Beta Tattva. So we've completed the 79th Anucheda in regards to the verses around the revelation of the Kumars. And we continue to, on tonight with the 80th Anucheda. The Lord is the embodiment of all human attainments. Jiva Goswami writes, in the following prose passage, the Ritviks clearly stated that Lord Yajna Purusha, to Lord Yajna Purusha, that the Lord is the personification of all human attainments, Purusharthas. So this, uh, this verse that's about to be quoted from the fifth canto is spoken by the, the sacrificial priests. So uh, we all have some some concept that immediately comes to mind when we hear the term Ritvik. Yeah. Well, this is the proper application of the term Ritvik. That is, uh, as the, the priest. Uh, so from the fifth canto, King... Nabi, he wanted a uh, he wanted a son. He had no progeny, and therefore he he worshipped uh, Lord uh, Yajna Purusha with the hope of attaining a son. So the Lord appeared out of the sacrificial fire, just light a fire, say some mantras, and out comes God. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, we hear about that specifically in in the uh, in the uh, story of Gopa Kumar when he went to uh, Mahaloka Mahalorka. The the this is above Swarga. They, now we're into the the upper realms of material existence where those perfect perfected beings live and perfected in that they, they have the lifespan themselves of Brahma within the universe. They live for that same duration of time. And these upper realms are attained by you know, great, great devotees, great yogis, great jnanis, and they, they perfect their existence, and at the end of the universe, they're out of here with Brahma. They're able to, uh, they don't take birth again. Um, so for the whole existence, they simply are engaged in meditation or performing sacrifices like on Maharloka. So Maharloka, they're just performing sacrifices all the time. And Gopakumar is really attracted to that because all, he can't get enough of God. Basically, that's the whole story of of uh, the second canto of uh, Rihat Bhagavatamrita is Gopakumar. 
he just can't get enough of the Lord and he goes from place to place trying to get more and more and even when he gets to a place where it seems like he's he says I've attained all my everything's here I finally made it so he made it to Maharloka he made it well first he was Indra and then he realized that uh, you know Upendra goes away sometimes and this puts it put him in great despondency well Upendra left and like what am I supposed to do now? God left, but here I am waiting for him to come back. And then he did come back. And he was over, over, he overcome with loving devotion again, ecstatic emotion in the presence of the Lord. And the thoughts that he had about going somewhere else just left because he was with, with the Supreme. So at one point... Uh, The sages of Maharloka, they, they descended to sanctify the places of pilgrimage down, down, down on, on the earthly realm. So they go to the Ganges and they go to the different holy places and clean them of all the sins just by walking through them. You know, just by visiting, they would, because, you know, all the human human humans they they take advantage of these places of pilgrimage and they leave their sins behind <laughs> so the sages they're like well it's time for a cleansing and they go and they, they that's part of their you know there's no room they have a motive of, of making you know making these places of pilgrimages as uh, as potent as possible so they personally go there to benedict those places so they came down and uh, Gopa Kumar, now Gopa Kumar is in the position of Indra. Now Indra, he'd taken the position of Indra. Uh, by Krishna's arrangement, Indra got in trouble as he usually does. He has a little bit of a lust problem and, you know, he generally takes what he wants and sometimes what he takes belongs to some <laughs> great saint, <laughs> you know, uh, some powerful mystic and uh, then he... He has to get out of town quick because, you know, uh, even even now we have the same scenario plays out, you know. So uh, he, he hid himself away and uh, uh, all the devas, they decided, well, Gopa Kumar was there and he was sufficient so he could be Indra for a while. So they made him Indra and he was happy. So it's like he was a great Indra. He, he dedicated everything to increasing the worship of uh, of the Supreme Lord and uh, uh, Jagadishwar, and he just he was in great happiness. But every once in a while, he left. So these sages come down uh, from Maharloka, and they pass through Swarga and. You have to imagine Gopal Kumar thinks he's made it to the top of the. He, he says there can't be anything better than this. The Lord's here. I get to worship Him with all the opulence of the universe, as Indra, and 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 this is it. I realize he goes away, but he comes back. And when he goes away, sometimes I yearn to go back to Vrindavan where I can have that, or I go yearn to go back to to uh, you know. Uh, 
Lachala, where Lord Jagannath is, and Jagannath, he's fixed. He's there every day. He doesn't move. He's, you know, that's Jagannath. He's always, always in Puri. These sages come through. He notices all the demigods stop worshipping Krishna and start worshipping these sages that are passing. And they, you know, they... They quit. They offer them as much as respect as they were giving to God. They offer them everything as guests. And Gopikumar is like, "What's going on here? Where are these guys from, and why are they being worshipped? You know, why has the worship of God been given up in deference to them? Who are they? Where are they from? What are they all about?" So they left, and and he was instructed by the demigods as to their exalted position and that they were from Maharloka and and they were in a very, you know, in, in a very transcendental position. So he immediately thought, well, I want to go there because that's his nature. He wants... He wants to go where he can worship God the most. So he goes there, and uh, there he notices this this kind of an activity where they worship the Supreme Lord by performing a fire sacrifice, and the Lord of Sacrifice, Yashoda Purusha, just comes out of the fire and eats everything and is congenial, and what do you want? Gives all benedictions. And then the fire goes out, and he's not there, and they light another fire, and they have another sacrifice. He's, like, really happy again. So, you know, he's, it's, a, it's a grand situation for him. And then the end of Brahma's day comes. And there's no more fire sacrifices. Now, Maharloka is at, at, at the bottom of these upper, planet, upper planetary systems. And it even becomes uncomfortable there from the heat of the devastation of the of the lower planetary systems, the 14 division of planetary systems up through the, de- the, the residence of the demigods. Um, so this is the experience that he had there. And if you want more, you can read Bhagavatamrita. It's a it's a story about the whole the whole. Uh, exploration of everything by by Gopakumar. One interesting thing in regards to what we were just saying, you'd think that being the king of heaven, Indra, he would be fully conscious of everything within the universe. Omniscient, right? So he should be aware of these upper planetary systems. But what curtailed his awareness that would be, normally be there for any resident, especially an Indra of the higher planetary systems, was the fact that he was so simple and he still, that was held back from him for his own spiritual benefit, that he didn't, that, you know, he, the whole story plays out in such a way that he experiences these different planes of, of worship of the Supreme, you know, step by step. It's not that he's aware of all of them. So that's why, even though he was in the re, even the in the residence and the head demigod Indra, I mean, it doesn't get any better higher than that as far as demigods go. He's the king. They all worship him. 
so his not knowing of those upper planetary systems is explained in that way. The mantra did not reveal that to him, his mantra. But other demigods knew. Yeah, so yeah, so they could instruct him as to as to what this then, then he could hear from them. So, because he didn't desire any byproducts of devotional service, that omniscience did not come to him. He just wanted pure devotional service, so that's his characteristic. And that's why even though he had a position like that of Indra, uh, that quality was not required for the service, and he didn't have any desire for it, so it didn't manifest. So now we have a um, an earthly king who's in in desiring to have a son, and uh, Shri Jiva Goswami is using uh, this particular uh, prayer by the priests, the Ritviks, the the administrators of the of the uh, sacrifice. Uh, to bring out the point uh, that the Lord uh, is the topmost attainment, Param Purushartha. So therefore the verse that is quoted by Jiva Goswami reads as follows, Therefore we do not perceive that even this grandiose worship serves any beneficial purpose for you. They're talking to the Supreme Lord who's just come out of the fire as Yajna Purusha. It's like, well, this fire sacrifice isn't isn't really doing anything for you. You already have everything, so, you know, we, we, we at least know that much. It's not like you needed to be fed and we lit a fire and we offered you all these ingredients into the fire and now you're satisfied you're always satisfied is basically what they're saying by your constitutional nature you were at every moment directly and indirectly and to an abundant extent the embodiment of the supreme goal of unlimited human pursuits the king is he has a human pursuit he wants a son so the goal of such a desire is the supreme. He's the one that fulfills that desire. He is the embodiment of everything that's good and everything that's wholesome and everything that's fulfilling in human society. And sometimes it's a son that gives a man that fulfillment. Sometimes it's wealth, sometimes it's communion with nature, sometimes it's so many things. So Sridhar Swami, now Jiva Goswami again, and and what we notice as we go through and continue to progress in studying the Sandarbhas of Jiva is how really brilliant Sridhar Swami's commentaries are. I mean, it's they're very, very deep. They bring out a very profound meaning of the Bhagavatam. Uh, you know, all the commentaries of the great Acharyas 
but specifically uh, the commentaries of Sridhar Swami were very much appreciated by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself and naturally all of his followers would also greatly appreciate them. And then after after the advent of Sri Chaitanya then so many more commentaries came and we have the commentaries of Jiva, the commentaries of of uh, Sanatan Goswami. Um, then we have the great commentary Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. And uh, so then for the common common men of the world you have somebody like Bhaktivedanta Swami coming and writing a general purpose commentary which the lowest of mankind can be drawn into the to the heart of what is the Bhagavatam gradually. So Sridhar Swami says, the unlimited goals of human existence which abound in and of themselves at every moment both directly and indirectly are the embodiment of him the supreme bliss. The Shrutis declare he is the embodiment of all desires, all fragrance and all taste. So Sridhar is bringing out of this verse actually whatever ambition someone has whatever taste someone has for whatever they may have a taste for that's really Krishna what they're trying to take they just don't know it they don't recognize that having a son really Krishna is the topmost son Krishna Krishna is fulfilling all these material desires so Sajjan Narayan Das continues with his his commentary and there's some things here that I I wanted to touch upon. Um, so Jivika Swami's just gone to some great lengths to explain to us that the Lord's form, abode, attributes, um, associates, actions they're all manifestations of the Sarup Shakti. They're not an Upadi. They're not an imposition either of knowledge or of the Bhakta, of, of Bhakti, of Prem. They're not an Upadi of, of Brahman that brings about these attributes attributed to the Supreme Lord, that he, ha that he has form. They're, they are him. They're not separate from him. Now, where we're going to go from here in the Bhagavat Sandarbha is we're going to go into deeply understanding how this Brahman, this Advayagyana, this non-dual substance can be seen as both Brahman and Bhagavan and both conceptions are, are Jiva's going to be reconciling them even more not that he hasn't been working on us for how long to understand what is really what's it mean what's Brahman mean and why is Bhagavan a higher conception than Brahman, but 
they're still the same supreme. So we're going to go into this. <laughs> so first, we've just gone through this one anucheta, very extensive anucheta, to understand that all of these things, name, form, residence, associates, Leela, all those, they're not upadis of Brahman. They are the Lord's internals for Rup Shakti. They are the Supreme Himself. They're not an imposition on the mind. This was a big thing at the time of Jiva Goswami. Pulling people over from, you know, this Brahman conception into the into the Achinta Beta Beta simultaneously, inconceivably, hard to conceive. The only the only thing you have to measure by is your material empirical experience which you've had since time immemorial. So it's natural that you, when thinking of the Supreme, have a hard time thinking of the Supreme as having attributes which aren't material. You have no experience of an attribute that isn't material. And when you think of Supreme, you think of that all-encompassing spiritual energy. But you don't think that he can smile at you. You don't think that he can tap you on the shoulder or put some sweet meat in your mouth. You don't think that he wants to frolic with you or meet with you in the kunj late at night in a loving embrace. You don't think of the Supreme in that way. It's not, it's you, all those things are your material life. How can they be spiritual life also? How can they be spiritual? How can I look at them and see that they're spiritual life and and in seeing that they're spiritual life, how can I not equate them with and paint them with the brush of the impressions of material existence. And that's what we're talking about here, upadis. Okay, well, we understand that you can think that God has a form. We'll just go over this one more time. You can think he has a form. That's okay, but the, the Brahmavadi will say, but really it's just the mode of goodness working on your spiritual code. You've purified yourself. And now your consciousness is, is saturated with goodness. And now the scriptures talk about having a little bit of bhakti. So you're applying that mode of goodness, painting your concept of the supreme with that ideal of goodness and therefore giving the supreme a semblance of material form. A semblance of playing a material flute. A semblance of milking a material cow. But because it's pure sattva, pure sattva. Well, what do you mean pure sattva? So there Jiva had a problem with their use of that terminology. 
because immediately when you start thinking of those activities and you start using the terminology sattva, then all these attributes come about when sattva is what? Influenced by rajas. Rajas is what creates sound, creates smell, creates taste, creates form. When rajas and sattva meet, then you have these creations. So now your pure sattva has to be influenced by rajas. And that's what you're saying is Bhagavan? Or you're saying that a form has manifested from your upadi of prem. You love Brahman so much that there's, there's love in you and that love you're thinking is a little blue boy. Jiva's saying no to those concepts. That's not what's going on here, fellas. That's not it at all. These manifestations are part of the Shrarup Shakti. They are Bhagavan. They are not something else and they didn't come up because you thought them up or conceived them up either from goodness or from praying. So now back to where we are here And this is like a segue Anucheda section where he's he's going to go from from the last one about the Kumars into another series of uh, of verses. Um, but here he's making the point that the Lord has nothing to gain personally. And don't think that your worship of him is for his benefit. So he manifests out of the sacrificial fire, but he came of his own volition, due to his own merciful nature. And we've heard this before. We've heard this. Narda even says, I sit down and I perform my, my chanting and the Lord appears before me as if summonsed. As if summonsed. Not that he's some, you can summons him. You can't. But it seems like you're, just, you, you're singing and calling Krishna. And here he, there all of a sudden he is. He's on the tip of my tongue. He fills my mind. I can feel him and sense him in my heart. Just by this chanting. So it's like. He comes when I call. But don't think like that. This is, the, this is what's being brought out here. Um, one could think the Lord appeared as a result of the sacrifice and being satisfied. You could think like that. 
But the Lord had no purpose to achieve. Only the king had a purpose. They weren't performing the sacrifice for the Lord. They were performing the sacrifice to the Lord. And what did they want? They wanted to give a, ch the child, a child to the king. The Lord appeared causelessly by his mercy. Being, this is an important point, being independent and fully satisfied does not mean that one is indifferent, rigid, or hard-hearted. The Lord's independent. He's fully satisfied in himself. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have these other wonderful characteristics that make him appear like he comes when called. He does come when called, but he doesn't come as a, you know, he comes out of, out of love. Just some other points in regards to that that come from the Gita that need to be seen in proper perspective. Um, in the seventh chapter of the Gita, Krishna says that I am the desire which is not opposed to the way of truth. Krishna says, I am desire. Um, which is not opposed to the way of truth. There are desires that are opposed to to truth, meaning they're opposed to proper conduct, to to to, to the, the the reality of uh, of a wholesome situation. Krishna also said he's the fragrance of the earth. But that not doesn't mean that he's the smell of the stench that sometimes comes from the earth. So we have to see what he's referring to when he when he um, when he explains that all these things are coming of his nature. But that doesn't mean that he is all those things. As, as he's the best of all those things. Doesn't mean that he's not those other things. They're not, but, but it means that when he says, when he equates himself with the things of the world, and speaking to Arjuna in the Gita, he's, he's speaking about a way that you can relate those qualities, those excellent qualities of his external potency to his being. Everything directly related to him is certainly transcendental, and everything that we can relate to him of material nature can make our consciousness transcendental. So now we'll go to the 84. First Anucheta, which is again very long, and what uh, it's broken down into different sections as a series of verses are used to pound in the post again, same logic regarding understanding the distinction, properly understanding the distinction between. Brahman and Bhagavan. So Jiva Goswami goes on. 
81st Anucheta. Even though, in this way, even though it has been clearly shown with multiple references to the testimony of realized sages that the most complete manifestation of Brahman is in Bhagavan, this matter shall here be considered again in further detail. You thought you got it all. Okay. I thought I covered it all, but I just want to make sure. The one absolute truth is described in two ways. But there is no difference in its essence. Even though a difference exists not only in name, but in appearance also. There's no difference in its essence. Even though a difference exists not only in its name, Brahman and Bhagavan, but in its appearance also. The all-pervading Brahman and a manifestation of the Supreme Lord, Bhagavan. So why isn't the Paramatma being included in this? Uh... Well, we have a whole Sandarbha to go to, uh, oh. to understand the distinction of the Paramatma in relationship to a manifestation of Bhagavan within, within the material realm. So Paramatma is covered in its own Anucheta because it is that it is that yeah did I say yeah the whole Sundarva uh, um, because it is that it is that place where we have some some familiarity with and sense of the influence of the supreme within the realm of our existence Essentially, Paramatma is an extension of Bhagavan. So here he's just dealing with the distinction between Brahman and Bhagavan. And when we hear Bhagavan, we know that Paramatma is included in, in Bhagavan. Although it has a different function, it still has the major characteristics of Bhagavan name, form, qualities, pastimes, as the Purusha avatars, as, our, as the Artaryami, the indwelling super-soul. However, two types of eligible seekers, according to their individual perceptual abilities, see the one absolute in these two ways and worship him accordingly. One important word here is eligible seekers. Now, we may have a tendency to think that the Brahmavadi is an uneligible seeker. We should be careful of, of that mentality. The Mayavadi, he's an ineligible seeker. But you could never say that, and what's going to be used here as an example is the Asadev, or the Kumars, or Sukadev, were uneligible seekers. These are true transcendentalists through and through. 
and they come to the higher revelation and they they become uh, enthralled by it. They become enthused by it. They take to it, but not all eligible seekers go from Brahman to the Bhagavan conception. Some of them are eligible and Brahman and they're perfectly content in that conception. But if they cross the line and in thinking that their Brahman conception is superior or they utilize misconceptions and become offensive to the Bhagavan conception, then we call those Mayavadis. They equate the form of the Lord with his external energy. Well, God can't have a form. If he has a form, or if you think he has a form, that's fine. But in reality, he doesn't. No, in reality, he does. And you must be willing to accept that. He manifests that form, and he also is the Supreme Brahman. Now, you may be attracted to the Supreme, all well and good, but don't say, don't step on the head of the personal conception of the Supreme to, to attain your impersonal perfection. It will not work. So, One should not, Jiva Goswami goes on, misconstrue that the realization of one is factual while the other is delusive. Because the reality of both manifestations has been established. They're both established in the Shastra. Nor is it that there is a partial difference due to the one substantive being partially transformed by its own energy, since neither Brahman nor Bhagavan can undergo transformation. So you can't think that Brahman becomes Bhagavan or Bhagavan puts out a Brahman energy that it's emanating, you know, it's it's something, it's not like that. And we sometimes have that conception where the Brahman is that the effulgence of the Supreme. Well, I just read that in the CC last night. Yeah. It is, but it is also the essence of it is the same spiritual essence. Anything coming from Krishna is Krishna and it's infused with what? His Swarup Shakti. Although those worshippers of just the Brahman are not able to perceive that Swarup Shakti due to their angle of vision. It's like a light going through a prism. It's it's fully light, but it can be turned a little and it looks just one color. Jiva Goswami continues, 
And this is very, I mean, this Anacheta is really, really um, deep in that regard. Nor is it that there is a partial difference due to the one substance in being partially transformed. We just read this. Either Brahman or Bhagavan can undergo transformation. Neither of them can undergo transformation. So when we say that, when we, when we come to a, an idea like that, that the Brahman emanates from the Supreme, well, there's no transformation in the Supreme. So it's not like it's emanating, it's always there. Therefore, Jiva goes on, either due to the completeness or incompleteness of vision, or in the case where vision is complete, but the person does not search out a specific manifestation of the Lord, there will be a difference. And one candidate will see a partial manifestation, whereas another will see the complete, undivided manifestation. These are the two different manifestations of the one absolute. And even when we come to those people who have the conception of the Bhagavad, of Bhagavad so we're saying, what Jeeva is saying is, those people that have only the conception of Brahman have an incomplete conception. They're not seeing the full picture. They're not seeing that there can also be qualities in the Supreme and there can be Shaktis in the Supreme that are spiritual, that aren't, you know. Um, so they, their conception is fine. It's just not as complete. And we, we take it a step further. Yes. And even some of the worshipers of Bhagavan they don't have the most complete conception of Bhagavan. Some of them only see Paramatma. Some of them only see Narayan or Rama. Some of them only see Nishringa as supreme. Some of them only see Krishna as supreme. Now, we, we kind of agree with those people. Well, we actually do agree with them totally, but that's our conception. But if we went to the, you know, some sections and groups of the Vaishnavas, we could say that. They say, oh, yes, Krishna, he's very cute. He's very nice. But Narayan, that is God. So, different, different ideas. So, even within the personal conception, there are other conceptions of that person. And you can't say, we would say that the Krishna conception is the most complete. And we have, we can substantiate that with Shastra. There's characteristics of the blissfulness that can be experienced in that personality that cannot be experienced in other manifestations of the Supreme. But if you're overwhelmed by Narayan, you're probably not going to get it. Vena Madhurya, Leela Madhurya, Prema Madhurya, that's all sounds well and good, but I'm with Narayan. Look at Narayan, you know. Who's more beautiful than Narayan? Lakshmi Narayan. 
the benedictions that they bestow upon their devotees. And you're saying the highest conception is that we should go play in the woods with a boy, a little cowherd boy? And that, that you know, that that's a higher conception? Yeah, it's billions of times higher in the estimation of those devotees. So somebody that's a follower of Narayan, I guess they would never even read the Gaurabhi Mohan Leela. Sure they would. So how would they... Say that's a charming aspect of Narayan's pastimes. Oh, that he would appear as Krishna? And yes. Yes. Himself. Yes. Okay. It's very charming that he's appearing like that. Oh. Okay. It's nice. My Narayan, he can play like a little oh, boy. Okay. It's nice. But really, when it comes down to business, he's God. And he has all these opulences. Krishna takes the the idea, ideal of opulences away from his devotees. I don't like that ideal. So he says, I don't like to display my opulences. If I have opulences, I put them in the cow shed. I put gems around the, you know, the stalls. It's an entirely different way of, 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 uh, of showing his opulence. That this being the case, what's being the case? The case that they both have a vision of the Supreme. This being the case, when the substantive, the Supreme, appears without attributes, that vision is incomplete. I mean, Jiva's just coming right out. This is, this is for the time that he's speaking and the audience he's addressing, these are very substantial statements. He's making in his Sundarbas. These are earth-shattering to the majority of the transcendentalists of his day. Of course, Lord Chaitanya's just enacted his pastime, so he's feeling a lot of empowerment himself to be able to write this. Just like Bhaktivedanta Swami, our spiritual master, when he, he said, Krishna was dictating this to me. I was writing this Bhagavatam commentary for the Western mindset. And Krishna was telling me how to write it and what to write. You know. When the substantiative appears without attributes, that vision is incomplete, as when it appears in the form of Brahman. And when that substantive manifests in a form with attributes that demonstrate the varieties inherent in its essential nature then that vision is complete as when it appears in the form of Sri Bhagavan. So now he actually says, what are the forms of the Supreme Bhagavan? With this intention, it will first be established that the absolute truth manifests in accordance with the vision of the aspiring practitioner. All of them as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. However you want to see me, as long as it's scripturally sound, as long as the other great sages have seen me in this way, and that I've manifest, I've factually manifested a form that corresponds with the revelation which you have 
So therefore, you know your revelation is not imagination or hallucination. Um, then that's okay. Using six verses that contain questions and answers regarding the appearance of the great Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam. So he's going to continue with this Anacheda by using the advent of the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam actually manifest. Why did it manifest? Under what circumstance would it manifest? I'm going to use that in this Anacheda as the example to show that there's a distinction between Brahman and Bhagavan and how they are inconceivably, simultaneously, one and different. Any questions? Could you repeat that last little bit you just said? He's going to demonstrate, use what to demonstrate that they are simultaneously? He's going to use the, 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 the six verses, six of the verses, because there's a whole series of verses, six of the verses to demonstrate this point from the uh, the revelation of, of Srila Vyasadeva. Mm-hmm. Srila Vyasadeva, where did his, his discontent come from? Why was he discontent? What did he do to remedy, remedy that discontent? And what was the ultimate uh, outpouring mm-hmm. once he went through that revelation? So, I mean, he went through, he went to a spiritual master, expressed his discontent, he had a revelation. Right. He saw the Supreme. Then he rewrote the Bhagavat Purana. Right. He'd already presented what he thought would give people entrance into Harikatha in the in the uh, Mahabharat. But it's just it's it's not specific enough. And Narada brought that out to him. So Jiva's going to use those verse these verses to bring out the distinction between Brahman and and Bhagavan in a way that we can see that they are, in a way that he can bring us to a deeper and more established, it's called pounding the post, a type of logic, mm-hmm. uh, understanding of this point. And here again, this is, this is the main uh, crux of this, these beginning sandarbas, tattva sandarba, bhagavat sandarba, san, paramatma sandarba. These sandarbas are meant to establish us in understanding and fully appreciating a chinta beta beta tattva. This is Brahman, it is paramatma, it is, you know, bhagavad. Advaya jnana, non-dual spiritual substances, all these things. Anything else? Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Thank you.